Sefer Bereshit, Parshat Veyera, Bold Protest or Blind Faith. The heroic figures of the Bible use their station to teach us that faith isn't about passivity but protest. It is the primary role of the Jew to be an ambassador for justice. Our individual relationships with God should not merely comfort us, but rather they are meant to be a challenge to us. Judaism is not to be an opiate of the masses, as one of our own co-religionists thought, but a holy challenge to our community to be more and to do more. We can see this on display during this week's Torah portion. At the beginning of Parshat Vayera, Abraham challenges God. For any other person, the notion that God would destroy the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah would be a fait accompli. But our forefather Abraham was no ordinary person. He has the chutzpah to stand before the creator of the world and say, will you stamp out the righteous along with the wicked? It would be sacrilege for you to do such a thing, to bring death upon the righteous along with the wicked. So the righteous will be like the wicked. It would be sacrilege to you. Shall the judge of all the earth not do justice? So then how is it that this is the same person who at the end of this Parsha blindly follows God during the Akedah, the binding of Isaac? God says he will destroy the wicked, and Abraham immediately rose to their defense. When God demands that Abraham kills his precious son, however, Abraham obeys without defiance. Where is our hero with the audacious chutzpah? The Raubug, Gersonides, suggested that God never commanded the killing of Isaac. God is inherently good, but this command by any moral account would be evil. Rather, Raubug suggested that Abraham misunderstood the command. Abraham was commanded to bring Isaac to the top of the mountain, but never to kill him. Still, even if he misunderstood, why was Abraham so willing to go through with the deed? I'd like to suggest that what Abraham misunderstood was God's response to the protest of Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction. Abraham protested, and God, of course, proved himself right. Thus, Abraham mistakenly concluded that he should live by blind faith alone rather than with reason and conscience. This is not what God asks of us. Abraham should have protested the binding of Isaac as forcefully as he asked to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. We are to struggle with our faith, not merely to submit to it. The specter of theodicy, or explaining the lack of a divine presence during times of adversity, has long stymied theologians, philosophers, and lay people alike. In the Bible, there's many instances of seemingly senseless cruelty and abandonment. Cain murdering Abel, Hagar and Ishmael left to die in the desert, Pharaoh enslaving entire generations of innocent Hebrews, the tribulations of Job, the list could go on. Indeed, looking to our generation, we can shout to the heavens, where was God during the Holocaust? Where was God to liberate the ghettos and stop the pogroms? With the pervasiveness of injustice and oppression in the world, where should our response to God's silence and inaction be? Where was God when I need the divine presence in my life? And most importantly, how can there be a benevolent, omnipotent God while so much suffering the world still festers unattended like a wound upon all of humanity? These questions, while elementary, speak to the deeper notion of how the immortal, eternal, divine interacts with the gossamer reality of human existence. Surely that which proclaims itself a protector of all should, should keep us all from harm.
On the subject, biblical scholar Yochanan Muffs writes, Biblical religion does not seem to require the man of faith to repress his doubts and silent resignation. Abraham, Jeremiah, and Job, all men who question God's ways, are hardly numbered among the wicked. There's even some evidence that God demands such criticism, at least from his prophets. Protesting God is not futile, but a deeply religious and moral act. Indeed, there are strands of rabbinic thought that not only allow for, but even celebrate human confrontation with God. It is not only some of the sages that embrace this theology, but perhaps God as well. God does not critique those in the Bible who challenge divine action or inaction. Our challenge then is to develop a critical and moral reasoning capacity to listen to the light of our conscience. Rav Cook had harsh words for those who misunderstood the Torah by trying to silence their conscience. He wrote, The profound natural conscience's power and grandeur must be fortified within us as a spiritual basis for the potent radiance of the Torah. Whatever agrees with reason and our inborn sense of the fair must follow the course marked out by man's intuition and pure will. The Torah granted to Israel diffuses to us and to the world a brightness more luminous, pervasive, and holy than that of natural reason and morality. Those who slight the elemental divine appeal that re-echoes humanity's natural disposition and seek the supernal Torah light beyond the brilliance of the human soul, misconstrue the Torah. Abraham was right to live by the faith of his inner light to challenge God. He misunderstood that result when he tried to live by blind faith and commit an act of potential evil. It's a vital lesson for all of us that an essential part of growing in Jewish wisdom is not simply learning texts and the ideas of the sages, but to enhance and beautify the truths that emerge from our own godly souls. It would be easy to believe that only blind faith and submission keeps our religious integrity intact. Rav Cook teaches otherwise. It is forbidden for fear of heaven to push aside one's natural morality, for then it would no longer be pure fear of heaven. The sign by which one can recognize pure fear of heaven is when the natural morality which is rooted in man's honest nature ascends by means of the fear of heaven to higher levels than it would have attained without. But if there should be a fear of heaven, such that without its influence, life would tend to function better and would actualize things beneficial to the individual and society, whereas with its influence, that actualizing power would diminish, such a fear of heaven is invalid. One pathway in religious life is to embrace submission. But an alternative pathway is to live with a very living process of moral reasoning, of moral conscience, of moral struggle. This may may be the most enlightened pathway. Here, faith is not found in the seemingly absurd, but faith is about trusting that it is okay to listen deeply to one's moral consciousness and make the best decisions we can without perfect clarity. Shabbat Shalom.